Hello and welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast, our fortnightly interview series all about success, modern business and the lives of entrepreneurs. I'm Joe Bullmore, the editor of Gentleman's Journal, and I'm joined today by John Russo, the CEO of Maddox Gallery. The art world, as we know, can be a pretty bewildering place, filled with haughty gallerists, obscure waiting lists and insider gossip. This is partly by design, I think, and partly just out of habit. But it means that for the first time collector like you or I, it often feels as if huge walls have been put up between us and the works we love. Maddox Gallery, on the other hand, prides itself on its openness and friendliness. And that stems, I think, from the fact that everyone involved is simply an art lover first and foremost. John Russo, the gallery's CEO, is a case in point. And to hear him talk about the street art movement, which is one of his particular obsessions, as you'll hear, is to observe a kid in a glorious Technicolor candy shop. So when we wanted to speak to someone about the intricacies of the contemporary art market right now, we were very happy to chat to John. In a fascinating and highly informative episode, John tells us what we should look for in our very first art acquisitions, how Instagram is dramatically changing the way art is discovered, why smart TVs could be the future of art displays, and what the atmosphere was like in the room at Sotheby's as Banksy enacted his famous shredder stunt. Enjoy! But before we begin, I'd love to tell you very briefly about the Gentleman's Journal shop, our new men's style destination full of the independent brands that we love. You can find it at shop.thegentlemansjournal.com. That's shop.thegentlemansjournal.com. Head over there for special, unique releases from a fine curation of brands and plenty of picks and pointers from people in the industry who really ought to know. I'm sure you'll find something you love. John, thanks so much for joining us on the Gentleman's Journal podcast. It's lovely to have you here. Thanks for having me. That's great. So we're here to talk about, obviously, the Maddox Gallery, where you're CEO, um, and the modern art market, both in the sense of it, the contemporary art market, but also the art market right now. But before that, I want to get a sense of the man, maybe the boy, in fact. And if you could take us back <laughs> to your childhood or your, or your adolescence, if we dare to go there. Is there a single piece of art or a work of art that you saw as a young man that kind of had an immediate visceral reaction on you? What was the first artwork, I guess, that you fell in love with? Regrettably, it's, um, it, it's not anything to do with where I grew up or, uh, or, 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 or growing up in Australia at all. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, the very first artwork that I saw that I, I think it was in high school, um, and we did a tour of a, of a, of a gallery or a museum or, or something like that. Um, and I remember seeing, I don't, I don't know the title of painting because it's, it's been a long time now. And, and, but I remember seeing a, a Rothko and just immediately getting a sense of understanding why people buy art. You know, I, I had this, it, it, it was interesting because art up until that point, And even today, I, I understand why people buy art for purely decorative reasons, you know, like motel art. Um, and, but I, I saw this, I saw this Rothko and, you know, it, you know, Rothko's by definition of these very elegant imagery. Uh, and, and I just remember looking at it thinking it just, it, it just felt so powerful. And, 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 and I understood in, for a brief moment being you know, 15, 16, that I understand now why people, want to own something like this and hang it in their home. It's not just about something pretty hanging on the wall, which arguably is a very poor description of a Rothko, but but it, it's actually something to be enjoyed and consumed in your home that you're going to walk past every day and it takes a point of pride. And I didn't have, I had no idea like its value or, or anything about the artist at the time, but I remember just looking at it going, that's just such a, such a beautiful piece of art um wouldn't it be nice to have something like that in the home and then you know years later now having a, a i went to a rothko um exhibition uh, uh i think uh, a few months ago that was in london and it just sort of transported me back to a time of of of, of truly uh you know i think you can grow to appreciate art but there's always that that first moment where you see something and it just resonates like hearing opera or you know it, 
getting into a genre of music or film for the first time, mm-hmm. suddenly it creates your fandom. It's it's the birth of your fandom for that work. Um, and for me, it was. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, I don't know the title. Um, uh, and it would be nice to uh, to to go back in time and remember it. But yeah, that was certainly the sort of the seed that was planted. And the 15 year old John presumably couldn't afford a Rothko at that point. But what was the first time you decided to to put your money where your mouth is and actually kind of acquire or buy a piece of art, a special piece for you? It was a while. I mean, I, I, you know, we, we we grew up in a relatively uh, poor neighbourhood, and so you know, art was very much a you know, well, a lot of things were very much a luxury and, and obviously worked hard over the years. And, um, but the, the first, uh, piece of art that I actually bought, um, I'm just trying to remember back now because I've got like, even around here, I've got some stuff in the background, but, um, I've just got <laughs> stuff hanging everywhere on the walls. Um, I think the, the first piece I'm trying to remember if I bought it or it was gifted, but I, I definitely think the first piece that um, I owned was a uh, canvas work. It was either a print by the by, by the street artist Richard Hambleton, or it was a canvas work by the Connor Brothers. But it was um, it, for me. I remember that moment as I started to build a collection because the the motivating factor had to be something that I really wanted to enjoy hanging in my home. And later on, I described this as art hanging in your home has to achieve one of two things, only one of two things. The first thing is, um, first thing could be uh, that it's a story, you hanging on the wall, that you're eager to tell a story about it. So someone looks at it and goes, that's interesting. Let me tell you all about this artist. Let me tell you all about this painting. Let me tell you about the technique. Let me. I want to tell you everything. I'm a raving fan. The, the second thing it, it could do is it represents you. So someone looks at it and uh and says you know what that's that's pure john that's pure joseph um and yeah. and, and 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 to me and, that, and that's all the artwork that hangs in our home uh i think it does one of those two things but that would have been the beginning of my journey but since then uh if i went through the list of because uh, I'm, I'm very passionate about the genre of street art um if i went through the list yeah. of all the street art i'd owned it would be incredible i mean emerging talent recognized talent um you know it's uh I don't have enough wall space, and also I've got a very, yeah. um, a very, a, a very, um, uh, a wife who's got much more taste than I do, who, who's very, very, very picky about where we hang things in the home. So okay. um, I, I've got, I've got like, uh, like a row of paintings in frames and pictures and prints and frames that haven't been hung yet because I don't know where they're going to go. So I need, I need to get a bigger house, basically. Is that something you notice in yourself and in people that come to Maddox that once they've got one artwork, it's the start of a long, long journey and it's kind of an obsession begins from there, really? I do notice it. But I, and I think that a part of that, I do notice that once people, especially people who come to Maddox, once they've started that seed's been planted and they start purchasing and collecting art, um, it, it, it's it's the beginning of a lifelong journey of acquisition and collection. Mm. And But I think that only, for me, we really encourage it at Maddox because I, I never want anyone to buy art I mean, there's a lot of reasons not to buy art. If you're buying it in the hopes that it's just going to go be, be worth more in the future, then don't buy it. If you're, if you're buying it because, you know what, I need something for the wall, I need something decorative, then don't buy it. You know, this is something that you've got to love. You know, mm. you've, you've got to – you don't have to buy a lot of it. The, the, it. While we do have a lot of clients and collectors who compete with who can be the first one to get something that's scarce or who has the most art – the reality is it's not a competition uh, and you need to be motivated by, and this is what's really great. If you find that genre or that artist that you love, um, one of my favorite street artists, uh, one living street artist uh, is, is a, is a guy called incarcerated jerk face. who's an anonymous street artist out of New York. who's just, um, just so talented and brilliant and, and, mm. uh, but so respectful of the people who support him. Um, uh, you know, I don't think I, I'm actually on the hunt now. I mean, I had to go, I went searching and um, it's almost impossible to find his work on the secondary market because people are hoarding it. They just love it so much. It's almost impossible to get an original work. Um, I, I, by complete happenstance, I don't know if it's, it's hanging down here, but it's, um, I, I found a print that he did a few years ago. Um, it was a variant print um, of, of, of um, like sort of the, the traditional Superman motif 
and you know I, that would have sold for a few hundred dollars and i i found one just completely dumb like perfect timing for a couple of thousand that i bought um mm. uh, so i think that the once you find that type of artwork or that artist that inspires you it's just so easy to get consumed by it it's so easy to just, just in your spare time build up the collection and before you know it if you're like anything like me and i know a number of our clients collectors are like this you'll, you'll turn around one day and i mean i'm probably in my office now uh between hanging on the wall leaning against the wall waiting to be hung and in a bunch of tubes and 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 flat pack uh, i've probably got about 40 prints in this room alone um wow. Because it just becomes this thing that you know, and it's and I'm and I'm it's all things that I want to hang, and if I haven't hung them, it's only simply because uh, I'm I'm arguing with my wife where they're going to be, or we just don't have enough root of space. Um, but I, ne- I never buy anything for just for the sake of it, and that's I think what makes art exciting. It really does become something to passionately uh, yeah. collect and invest in. So let's go back a bit because you were um, you were a lawyer before you you worked for Maddox. How did that transition work from the kind of corporate law world to the more creative world of of art and galleries? Well, I mean, being in the legal sector is. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, I kind of knew it wasn't for me, and uh, you know, I transitioned into into the luxury sector. Um, this is many many moons ago now, and ended up working in in um, the retail wholesale luxury diamond industry, um, and then transitioned into the family office sector, which which was uh, I think about seven or eight years ago, and that was my first introduction to properly to the art market world. I was working for a family office that was dealing with um, extraordinarily uh, expensive and high value blue chip artwork. Um, and it, it opened my eyes um, even more so having worked. I've, I've had the pleasure of, of working for and representing some uh, multimillionaires and billionaires throughout my career, but uh, representing them gave me uh, a window to the excitement of the art world, if that answers mm. your question. And, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a wonderful transition. You know, I think it's, uh, you know, getting any degree is uh, li- like, you know, like a law degree or accounting degree or anything like that is, it will always help you, I think. If it, but for me, I was lucky regardless of, you know, background, it, it, it awakened a, a new passion of, of luxury and an art world that has culminated in me working with Maddox now as their CEO. And do you think there was some kind of advantage of starting professionally out as a as an outsider to the art world, and then now coming in as a as a CEO of a gallery? Do you have a different perspective on things? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's a great question. I, I think that the art world, um, even now, is notorious for being very old school and being run with some very deep rooted institutional issues as well. Um, and so, me coming in. And, and, and looking at things, I mean, I'm not, I wasn't so rebellious that I wasn't playing the game like everyone else, but I was looking at it through the lens of um, let's take w- what other sectors are doing and try mm-hmm. to apply it to the art world. And the biggest change, which is already embraced by the, the shareholders and founders of Maddox, who, who asked me to join them as their CEO, was pushing forward with a very disruptive agenda to be accessible. Art in general is has it been seen over the centuries for the elite, the wealthy, and even if you've got money, I, I know some people who are extraordinarily rich. You know, they're they're hundred millionaires, and if they walked into, I won't you know blame or, or shame any galleries, but I, I know them to have walked into some very prestigious galleries, um, blue chip galleries, had they've had their uh, the nose thumbed up at them because you know what are you doing in here you know you don't know anything about art it's very elitist and we've we, we've bucked that trend saying no 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 listen the, the, the fact of the matter is art can be appreciated and enjoyed by anyone and mm. and i think that that is certainly from an outsider point of outside point of view i wanted i wanted to focus on not necessarily the snobbery of art make it accessible but focus on the luxury servicing of it and that's why i've yeah. always said maddox is not an art gallery we're a luxury brand that sells art of course. Why is it that those traditional galleries, as you mentioned, are, are so choosy in their customers? Surely, you know, money is money and, and someone's willing and excited to buy a work of art, they'd be excited to sell it to them. What is it that makes them choosy, I suppose, when it comes to their customers? It's snobbery. I, I asked the exact same question to someone who um, is, a, is an art student and, and she gave me this wonderful insight saying, no, I mean, you, you will always have 
a bit of snobbery where people are very picky about who they sell to. Like it's important that art is being sold into the right wealth. And I just find that extraordinary. And I, and uh, never more than before has contemporary art started to dominate street art within contemporary art as a genre started to dominate. And the, and, and, and the last 50, 60, I mean, 70 years now, if you really look at it from the 50s, you know, with Warhol moving up to the 60s, 70s, Warhol Street, Hamilton, Basquiat, um, you know, Herring, um, they started something which has really, really, really started to pay off now, um, you know, in terms of popularity and economically, this idea that, you know, art is actually not for the rich. Art is for everyone. And... Um, ironically, these are the same artists I mentioned whose work goes for tens of millions and breaks records at auctions mm-hmm. now. Um, but I think that was the, the, the change. And, and uh, uh, I'm curious to see what the next 40, 50 years brings in, in the art world, what the next genre will be that will buck that trend. But no, I, 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 the way it's been explained to me, and I, I relate to it, is that there's just a general snobbery about it, an elitism. And, and I think you can have scarcity in art i think you can have listen not everyone can get this but it's 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 more based on luck rather than you know the postcode you live in or Mm. how much money's in your pocket one of the big changes of course across the pandemic was that instagram became a new platform for gallerists and for people who couldn't get you know people into their physical spaces how has that changed the art market in your sense both in in people's tastes in the type of art that's produced and, and the way that we interact with it you know it's interesting because i think i genuinely do believe that maddox does uh remote engagement with its client collectors better than any other uh gallery in the world yeah. You know, we, we, we were already on the front foot with having a powerful Instagram account. We've got a phenomenal marketing team. I've got a brilliant social media um, a director who, who with, with the rest of the team, create not just posts, but amazing content that is engaging and enriching, but done in this way that like most social media is now, mm. you know, during the pandemic, we all became a little TikTok famous and, you know, we, we, and, and we need things in, to be delivered in, in short bursts um, because we're yeah. so busy. And I, um, I found that Instagram, we had done so much phenomenal preparation and groundwork unknowingly over the years leading up to a pandemic. And it's almost like we did everything right. We were born for this moment where as a society, we were asked to stay at home and sit on the couch. Yeah. And what did we do when we're sitting on the couch? Unfortunately, we're not always talking to the person next to us, but we're on our phone and we're scrolling through Instagram and Maddox raised itself above the noise of content that was going on. And for that reason alone, and that's why during a pandemic, you know, our turnover doubled and, mm. and we, we wow. you know, we, we achieved close to a hundred million in turnover in, in 2020. So, um, and I, and I do firmly give credit um not all the credit because i've got a phenomenal uh art advisory team and you know and, and there's, a, there's a lot of people behind the the, the the scenes that make this successful um but i i definitely think the beginning of that was making sure that we were engaging with people correctly remotely and that for, yeah. for so many clients and collectors that journey began on instagram are people comfortable now you know seeing a work of art on instagram and then without ever seeing it in the real world, spending money on it and getting delivered to their door. Is that something that people are comfortable doing? I think people are comfortable buying artwork remotely or uh, via a distance if they have faith in the brand. Mm. And the good thing is with Maddox, and it's, it's in many ways it's why, I, you know, I like doing, you know, uh, uh, like the Gentleman's Journal podcast with you because I, I want Maddox to be seen as accessible. And I think when you've got the CEO of a company speaking plainly and, you know, you and I just, you know, we had, we, we met at that yeah, breakfast and we, mm. just, we had a good chat. And I think that gives clients and collectors, consumers faith because you have to have faith in, in a brand, the people behind the brand, whenever you're going to buy anything remotely. So I think people are becoming more comfortable um, and that's demonstrated through Maddox to buy art 
via long distance remotely commit to it because it's supported you know ultimately we, we you know we if anything was to ever go wrong for a client's journey or experience um we have uh, a company policy that no matter the type of complaint or concern i want to know about it immediately i want clients and collectors to have access to me so i can talk to them because ultimately the top of the proverbial food chain give them that assurance that you know uh, listen we're we're so complimented for doing things right but i think the true testament of a business is when something goes wrong and and all that is designed to give comfort to people who are ultimately having um making a good faith payment for artwork without mm. seeing it and there's always that little bit of fear but we've the accessibility knowing the people behind the scenes the visibility i think is giving comfort people comfort and we we have a lot of people who will call up and buy from madox artwork not just because they love the artwork obviously that that's got to lead the conversation but because they've got faith in Maddox as well that we're a reputable uh genuine brand mm. um that they can trust to buy from and not be you know um not not have a negative experience one of the things that often puts people off delving into buying art is is the sense that they might it may take a long time there might be a long period you there's kind of price on application notices you've got to contact the gallery they'll get back to you they'll tell you it's not available it's all quite a labored process i guess to put it bluntly how quickly if i saw a piece of art after this and i fell in love with it on your instagram how quickly could i have that in my home I mean, look, incredibly quickly is, is the yeah. answer. I, I think, uh, the, it, but you, if you're talking about, and what you are, you're talking about the journey. Um, yeah. and, and it's a good question because you're right. When you see something that you want, I want it as quickly as possible. Yeah. You know, I want that in my home. And whether it's a gift for yourself or a gift for someone else, I, I want that as quickly as possible. Um, and and we aim to, to serve that. The, the only thing that really gets in the way is when um, artwork has to be shipped uh internationally obviously this is all that consideration which has made worse in a pandemic with the various restrictions but if someone messaged you know the gallery right now via instagram or send us an email or just called um i mean the same day they'd be getting a response they'd be getting a response i'd like to hope you know we don't guarantee it as such because we're obviously busy but they definitely should be getting a response same day and uh sometimes within the hour saying listen thank wow. you for your interest and, and let's talk about this and and you know obviously art moves art can move very quickly um if you've seen something on instagram so have you know uh, the rest of our hundred and fifty thousand or whatever it is followers at the moment um and you know so uh, I, I you know even if just one percent of them inquire in the same artwork <laughs> there, mm. there's a chance that you may have missed out but our team worked with you to so you know to, to say look you know what, what what was it about this piece that you liked and sometimes it was like look i was just looking for that and nothing else other people were like, I love the genre. I love the, you know, and they want to learn more, but um, more often not, we, we have a very, very quick turnaround and, and uh, uh, it's always days and weeks. It's very rare that it would be months. Um, yeah. It's almost impossible. The only thing that's really uh, exacerbated that has obviously been the pandemic during lockdown. It's been a bit hard to get to mobilize people, but the great thing is, you know, um, clients and collectors can be very, very patient as long as they know they've got the artwork and it's theirs. How do you discover new artists, both personally for your own interest and your own collections, but also when you're looking to introduce an artist to, to Maddox? How do you find those people? How do you track them down? And what's the process there? It's fairly easy. I think it's the the, the first thing is is Instagram is, you know, I, I feel like I'm plugging Instagram constantly in this in our chat today, but Instagram is, a, is an incredibly useful tool. Um, unknowingly, it became this positive forum um, for artists to promote themselves to the universe and have a direct uh, mm. communication with clients and collectors. And uh, so Instagram is very interesting to me. And I'm constantly, you know, reading articles by, you know, Artsy or Artnet and talking about artists, you know, uh, that are out there. And then I go on Instagram and have a look at their work, which is, which I'll probably go to Instagram before I go to an artist's website. Um, mm. And some artists don't even have websites. It's all just, you know, it's, it's all just this entire visually dominated medium i'll look at what other galleries are doing as well and not just in london but mm. around the world you know i think it's important because one never knows where talent will be found and uh i've come across some brilliant emerging talent in you know in the middle of america like indiana you know and, yeah. and uh you know or, or some bespoke rural era um in australia or the, you know in, in some awkward provenance in europe and i'm a big fan I, I i find nothing wrong with it as the ceo of maddox with my instagram 
following other galleries and following other artists that even we don't represent because I think you never know where that inspiration is going to be born from. And then that leads to the third thing, which is recommendation. I'm, I'm constantly asking people, tell me about an artist that you've heard about that no one knows anything about or that you think's up and coming. And, you know, everyone's got a different opinion, but every once in a while you can be inspired. You can see something and you, I mean, I've, I've done it recently with an artist where, um, myself and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and the creative director of Maddox, we, we saw his work mm. and we were just blown away. And, and we, we saw that this is an artist who should be someone who's producing work that's in more collections, that is more sought after, that there is a waiting list because the work is brilliant and it's, and, and, and what the artist needs is just the opportunity. Um, yeah. So that's, that, that's, that, they're kind of the key ways that we, um, we get a lot of artist submissions, but, but generally, um, uh, we don't, we don't, uh, they're not, they're not the best because it's people who, um, are too much in the infancy of their career or don't have the right skill set. The best yeah. way for us to find artists is the way I described Instagram, uh, looking at other galleries and other territories and, and then just general word of mouth, you know, you yeah. know who's, who's, who's up and coming. So what, what is it? I mean, this is the golden question, right? But what is it that you, that you see in someone, what is it that you're looking for in a new kind of up and coming artist? Is it topicality? Is it the message? Is it where they're from? Is it where they studied? What exactly is it? Is it pure technique? I, I can tell you for me, it's none of those things. It's okay, like great. Literally, literally, literally <laughs> I would hate someone that has a message to be, to be the reason why we selected them because I think right. a message can quickly date or, yeah a message can quickly drown in a chorus of other people delivering the same message. Technique is, is important, but there's a lot of artists who um, didn't go to school, you know, mm. didn't, didn't go to art school. And I think they can't be ignored. Um, so art school, it's nice to know because I think I always, I always like um, an artist who's passionate talking about how they create something, mm. but that leads to actually what, to me, what's the most important thing. Um, and obviously subject matter kicks in, but subject matter is, uh, you know, it is subjective. You know, you, I might love a street artwork and you could just look at it and, and think, I'm not going to hang this in my home. You know, <laughs> you couldn't give this to me, John. Um, but uh, while the subject matter is important because you've got to, you've got to at least recognize that while I might not buy it, I could see why other people would love it. Yeah. Um, you know, so it can't be anything grotesque or, you know, just un un unattractive because ultimately Art has to be something that, you know, from, from a client collecting point of view, is something that you hang in your home and you enjoy all the time. And if mm. you're not doing that, then you shouldn't buy it. But for me, looking for an artist, I, I know it sounds silly, but I, I look for the ability to see a storyteller because then that might be through the passion of them talking about their artwork. That might be through um, the content that they create. But that's what mm. I'm looking for because I think that's a that's an artist who will have a career. What I don't want is to support an artist who made some good work but doesn't know where to go with it. Um, what I want is an artist who I've just got stories to tell and I'm just going to keep producing. And, and to me, that's interesting. So I'm, I'm looking for the storytellers. You know, yeah. I'm looking for the communicators. Um, and, you know, I, I, let, let, let me give you two polarizing ones. I'm, I'm such a huge fan of the street artist Retina. I'm a huge fan of Stick. I'm a huge fan of Invader. Um, I'm a huge fan of Mia's Brothers. And I've just mm. kind of named four artists there who are all very, very different. Um, but I, uh, my, you know, I don't want to go on a deep dive of each one of those artists just yet with you now because we don't have time. But but I would tell you that each one of those are storytellers in their own right. Um, yeah. And all very, very different. If, if the people listening to the podcast went on, a, went on a journey to quickly Google all those or go to our website and check them out, you're going to see four different artists, but they're all remarkable storytellers in their own way. And then when those young and undiscovered artists start to get more and more popular, is there ever a danger that the um, the kind of hype around them when they start to get very big very quickly can be a corrupting force in some way, either creatively or in the way that they're, you know, flavour of the month and their you know, prices are sky high and then they're kind of pump and dumped, to, to use a financial phrase, and they get dropped by the galleries. And we've seen that happen with a few artists over the last decade or so. Where do you find the kind of tension and danger between a lot of money and a new successful artist, I suppose? You know, you're absolutely right. There, there is a lot of tension and danger there sometimes, um, and we do see it with other galleries. Uh, what, what we're interested in doing, and I think that's why artists gravitate towards us, is I'm not interested in the solo exhibition that we're about to do. I'm interested mm. in 
the next five to 10 years of solo exhibitions with that artist. I actually had a conversation with the art, with an artist who I, who I can't name, unfortunately, because we're about to sign them. Um, and hopefully they'll be announced in the next week or two, but they're, they're a phenomenal artist. And, 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 and I, I say this to all the artists that we speak to now, um, you won't be with Maddox forever. We're, we're going to help you now evolve your career and we're going to get you to a point where you'll be approached by like a blue chip, mm. you know, older gallery than us who wants to take you to another, another level. And that's okay. Because what Maddox does is we build careers and eventually we will be that, that gallery. Cause we do, we sell a lot of blue chip work now on the secondary yeah. market, but I, I, I want to encourage a journey, you know, and when we talk to artists now, and since I joined Maddox, we talk not about, oh, we want to do a solo exhibition with you. We talk about a two, three-year plan with the artist about creating a print market, creating genuine demand, creating genuine scarcity, creating genuine wait lists. Um, mm. And it's a measured approach that's over two or three years. And that might not seem like a lot of time to some people because especially in artist's career, they wanted to go for decades. But I think that's more valuable than a gallery who just gives an artist one show and doesn't do anything with them again. Um, mm. and that's not to say that, you know, you can get it wrong and ultimately we can't force people to buy anything. Um, we can't make people like art, but for the most part where, where Maddox has become a tastemaker and there's a lot of faith in artists that we put forward on our roster and our exhibitions, that these are ones to watch. These are ones to support and it is talent that should be embraced and, and, and mm. recognized. Um, so we, 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 I do get worried when, um, artists don't uh, have the discipline or show the discipline to evolve. That yeah. that does concern me. That does bother me a little bit because I, I I'm fearful that uh, if they don't evolve, then they'll end up becoming like the world's biggest creative, you know, uh, managers, you know, and, yeah. and start working for ad agencies. And and that makes me sad because you know that sort of that one hit wonder. Um, uh, does it does make me nervous because we don't want that you know um, no. it's not good for anyone um, and the, ideally then the best case scenario is that somewhere in, on the planet someone is enjoying work but there won't be a follow-up collection and just like any I think people who get passionate about collecting artwork they're eager to go I can't wait to see what the artist does next mm. and then over years that's how it artist truly becomes successful because they've got people who go I want to buy anything from your next exhibition because I just love your work, you know, yeah. almost like someone who will always run out and see a film made by, you know, Francis Ford Coppola or uh, Steven Spielberg or, or read the latest book by you know, the, their favorite author. You have your favorite artist. I, I have mm. to own one of these works. And uh, that's what every artist should aspire to being, um, you know, yeah. and uh, if you, you get a sense of it, it's all inspired by, storytelling and passion rather than, you know, I want to get something and then sell it so I can make some yeah. money. So who are the, this is, um, I'm asking for the inside juice now, but who are the kind of artists that you've got an eye on that are going to be, you think, very big and very interesting in the next five years? Or if you can't answer that, are there any kind of areas or movements that you see right now that are particularly exciting for us to kind of dig into? No, I can't answer it. I mean, I, 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 it's a long list, right? But it certainly begins with an artist I've already mentioned on, on this podcast already, which was uh, Jerkface. Um, mm. So incarcerated Jerkface, and forgive the name, because uh, even he would tell you that um, there's so many different reasons why that moniker has come about. But he is, over the last few years, has really started to dominate. He's an anonymous street artist. You're, you're, you could have come to his exhibition and you could have stood next to him and you'd have no idea. Yeah. You know, other than he has an American accent, which might have ticked you off a little bit here in London, but you'd have no idea. Um, I mean, his work is nostalgic and, and sometimes it's subversive. It's very, very good. And, um, you know, he, he, he right now has a, has a 100% sell-through rate. So mm. all, the offered, all, all the artwork offered at auction in 2020, 2021 has, 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 has sold and sold for, uh, I think, above estimate as well, if I remember correctly. You know, he... Uh, uh, he's listed as um, I remember Art Price saying that he's uh, he's he's listed in the top 100 artists born after 1980 by wow. auction revenue. Um, he's just incredibly popular, and, and and we've had the pleasure of realizing some phenomenal um, you know uh, growth uh, in the value of the artwork for clients who have bought 
um, his work through us because we're now his worldwide exclusive gallery and and which I'm proud of because not only do I love his work uh, and I actively try to source it myself um, because uh, you know th this guy <laughs> when I, I, I've become very very good friends with the artist um, you know we chat regularly um, and uh, you know we're, we're actually we're actually genuinely very very good friends and uh, he he gifted me a print once and, and I said are you sure because these are valuable. Right. And, uh, you know, and he goes, no, no. And, and he joked, he says, it's, it's kind of like a drug. The first one's free. And, <laughs> and I tell you what, I, I don't, I don't know if, I mean, uh, forgive me for swearing, but the, the son of a bitch was right because I went out after that. It sparked, it was a seed. I ended up buying, I've got it out of my own money as well. Like, you know, don't, don't think for a second. I get gifted artwork a lot, as you can imagine, but this is not one of those times where I've gone out that one, uh, that one print, I've bought like four or five other prints, some of them not even through Maddox because they're no longer yeah. available. I've had to find them in the secondary market. Um, you know, and, and the, the last print I bought of his, I spent two grand on, which is frustrating mm. for me because four years ago, if I'd bought it, I could have bought it for 400 quid. So, wow. um, you know, so <laughs> I'm a big fan of his, you know, um, and uh, is, yeah, is that value going to go up? Do you think is he, is, is he got a lot more legs, so to speak? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I think yeah. that, uh, I, I know how old he is and he's not, um, uh, you know, he's younger than me and, um, uh, not by too much, but he's younger than me and he's, um, uh, I don't want give him too much credit. And, um, uh, he, uh, I think the next few years, uh, but he's also respectful of it. I mean, the next few years, he's going to create some amazing work. I, I spoke to him, uh, um, uh, earlier in the week talking about an exhibition that we're doing in Los Angeles later this year with him. Mm. Um, and also something interesting is a pop-up thing, which, I, which, which hopefully will create a bit of virality and in, in the first half of this year. But, um, he's got some really interesting concepts. He's always pushing himself, mm. um, which is, which is challenging for an appropriation artist to do, but the work is ridiculously popular around the world. And I think one of the telling elements, you can find a jerk face print online. You will be able to find one. We sell out within seconds within, mm. I mean, literally seconds. Um, you know, we've got a wait list that is like of, of a few hundred people who have just said, I don't care. I want one. I love his work and, and using, you know, your, your terminology from before you think, oh, well, people just flip it. We don't have that happen. We have people who, who want to own it. They love his work. They're fans. Mm. And not, that's never been more demonstrated than his original artwork, which is almost, in fact, it is impossible because I'm looking all the time to find his original work on the secondary market. It's popped out at auction where it's been incredibly successful, but, um, People are just hoarding it. I put the, the the print that I bought. I actually bought from someone who owns an original artwork of yeah. it, um, and it's a Superman uh, print. It's beautiful. It's, I got the variant, which is even more rare. And but I know the guy who owns the original canvas work. And I said to him, "How much do you want for it?" And he was like, "There's just no way. <laughs> I'm no. not going to sell it." He gave me a bunch of nonsense. It's for my son, and I went, "That's just a load of crap." <laughs> I, <you know. laughs> and I just. And he went, no, no, it is. And I went, no, 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 you just don't want to sell it. And to be honest with you, I would, uh, I don't blame you because I wouldn't sell yeah. it either because it's just, it's so very cool. And, and, and at some point in the future, and I mean, many, many years from now, uh, because the artist is so respectful of not flooding the market, mm. the work will be really valuable, but that's an artist not only thinking about his career, but his legacy. And yeah. if more artists did that, they would be so successful. Um, and just quickly, uh, to answer, I mean, I feel like I've spent too much time on, on, on my good friend, Jerk Face, but you know, um, I, I'm certainly keeping a very strong eye on this year for myself and number advising others Invader and stick as two yeah. other street artists. Um, obviously I'm a big street artist fan, as you can tell, but, um, you know, the Invader had a great year last year with his work and, and, and I'm such a huge fan of his work. Um, you know, what he achieves. Um, you know, he's been rising in international uh, prominence for, for so long, uh, recently last three years. I mean, his average sale price has increased by close to 200%. Um, you know, the, the, the number of lots in the secondary market has also gone up. There's just a, mm. a strong demand. Uh, the marketplace, the artist accrued a total sale of like $2 million auction in the first half of 2021 um, wow. compared to the year before where it was like a few hundred thousand. So, okay. you know, Invader's great. And Stick, of course, I mean, Stick is, is very minimalist in, the, in his style, but um, the popularity, you know, has been phenomenal. Uh, I mean, the, the, there's been a, 
uh, an incremental rise in auction sales from 2016 to 200% to, 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 to 2020 of close to 200%. Um, yeah. You know, and so, uh, and, and when his work goes to auction, it's like circa 75% above uh, estimate. So, you know, it's, 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 it's phenomenal. And for an artist in like the last seven years alone uh, at, at, at auction stick uh, stick has achieved 3.5 million, um, mm. uh, you know, as a, as a turnover. So for, when I look at those three artists in terms of, and the money's impressive, don't get me wrong, but what I'm, what I'm really drilling down there is the demand and the popularity. And you've got three artists who are truly embracing storytelling and scarcity because they're now focused on their legacy to me that's very interesting because yeah. i think they've all got many many years of productivity ahead of them but at mm. some point you know it'll stop and anyone who is smart enough to get those works um and just enjoy them in their home or their office um mm. you know I, I look at i've got a you can't see it on the i've got a wall of prints behind me here um you know if i just turn a little bit i've got a wall of oh yeah, yeah bunch, yeah. bunch of prints here and you know, and, and then over here, I've got another print there and, you know, and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, uh, and this is just within arm's reach right now. Um, I've got stuff over there I can see. Um, you know, uh, the uh, for me, I, I, I love, I'm, I'm passionate storyteller about artwork. I love this hanging in my, in my, uh, in my home. And, and without even realizing it, this is all stuff that uh, would make a profit for me if I decided to sell it. I've got no motivation to do so. I want to hold on oh. to it for as long as I can in life. And hopefully it's something I can give my son quite genuinely um, because I think he'll appreciate it. And, you know, that's how collections are born. When you look at all these wealthy families, they all began with one artwork. And uh, to me, that's mm. really cool. That's a, that's a really cool element of collecting. You know, it's something yeah. to be passionate about. Well, should we talk about street art for a bit? Because that's obviously a, a massive obsession of yours, but it's also something that Maddox has championed for a long time. I remember, you know, when I was growing up, Banksy was the only real name anyone knew in street art. And he was kind of an outsider figure. Even then, even 20 years ago, he was seen as an artist by some and a vandal by others. Now, of course, he's one of the biggest name artists of the 21st century. How's that change happened? And and what's your view from the inside on the change of the kind of reputation of street art and its standing in the world? Uh, listen, I mean, I think street art at one point, we forget, and I was talking to someone about this recently, I, I think contemporary art uh, as, a, as a genre, for lack of a better phrase, uh, but within it, street art became something that, you know, born in the 60s and 70s, you probably go maybe even slightly back to the 50s for some artists, became this subversive thing that was embraced in the 70s and 80s thanks to Andy Warhol, thanks to Basquiat, thanks to Richard Hambleton, thanks to Keith Haring. And then in the 90s and the early 2000s, there was a little bit of a gap. I mean, some great street artists still. Like I'm looking at people like Retner and... Um, uh, you, you know, I mean, Retner, in my opinion right now, is probably the, one of the greatest living street mm. artists around. Um, and then, of course, you've got Banksy. And and mm. Banksy hit this perfect sweet spot. Um, and we were such, obviously, I think we're one of the leading secondary market suppliers of Banksy work. All roads kind of lead to Maddox when it comes to Banksy on the secondary market. And uh, we've got a great relationship with the only authentication committee, Pest Control, um, who, who, who do a phenomenal job in, in policing and taking care of, of, of his yeah. market. And uh, Banksy hit a, hit a sweet spot where art became, uh, you know, he, he, by definition, when, we, when you hear me talking about accessibility, Banksy was producing work very much for the community. And it, ironically, because, I, I, you know, I, I just genuinely don't know, but he, he, he immediately realised, you know, or, or, or stayed true to the idea that, scarcity is key you know mm. I, I i've got to have a limited supply um because that that's what will make the work valuable and i think over the last few years and certainly the pandemic um just pushed it even further along street art has become this really exciting uh genre that goes beyond you know uh the perception of graffiti there's a rawness to it. There's a truth to it. There's a humor to it. You know, people forget about the humor of street art. There's, there's a real mm. passion to it, you know? And I mean, if you look at like the work of Keith Haring, I mean, that's, 
you know, what a what a passionate storyteller, Basquiat. What a what a what an impressive representation of African American talent. Um, you look at Hamilton, street art that really just dives right in, hits you like a bucket of water, dealing with addiction issues. And then you've got some amazing storytellers coming out of the of, of the wood, woodwork who are who are up and you know like some great artists, street artists that are out there out there. I'm just some that we Maddox don't even represent. You know, like Thirteenth Witness and um, there's a whole bunch. And but then the ones that uh, that that in the last twenty years, like Retina. Is just you know as I said, one of the probably the the greatest living street artists, or one of the greatest living street artists, phenomenal storyteller, linguist, uh, you know. And then you've got a new generation of, of you know street art that's coming about. Um, and I think street art is coming to its own as a genre mm. because of uh, its um, passionate storytelling, you know. And, Absolutely. Uh, uh, and 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 so yeah, I, I'm excited by street art. I I, I think it's. Um, I mean, I, I could talk about it for hours. I, I think it's, I, I think for me, creatively, I, I've got such an appreciation for it. I think it's some of the most beautiful art that exists. I, I, I've got on my wish list to have a Basquiat print in my home. Mm. I'm constantly on the lookout for them. Um, a Banksy, I think, is obviously everyone's go-to favourite and everyone's got yeah. their own favourite Banksy. But yeah, street art is, I, I think, will dominate. And what's great is that it won't be a, a dated genre. I think more and more artists are entering that scene to the point now where it's almost refreshing sometimes to see an artist who, a young artist, especially I was speaking to an artist last night. He's in uh, Indiana. He's n- he's not a street artist, but he's beautifully talented um, with his work, um, doing these beautiful flower um, depictions. And you know, uh, and he's a young kid. He's in his early twenties, um, and he's incredibly talented. And it's almost refreshing to see that there is still a universe where street art isn't becoming the main focus. Um, yeah. But for me, I- I'll always gravitate to. Uh, to, to, to street artists who, who like to hit the road and and by definition their art is for everyone. In the case of Banksy, certainly his roots and his message has often been highly anti-establishment and very provocative, um, often touching, as you say, on some some very, you know, controversial social issues. But then there's kind of a tension, isn't there? Because now his art is sold alongside very establishment artists by very establishment uh, institutions like the old auction houses. Uh, is there a sense there that that's i mean to put it crudely that he has sold out or there is a way that he has been forced to sell out by the nature of um of capitalism i suppose is he become the thing he hated to put it crudely i don't think so i mean i i, I don't want to speak for him but i i don't think so i i, I think he um I, I would imagine anyone he or anyone close to him would would find this amusing to be yeah. honest with you, I, there was a, there was a, I'm trying to remember the exact quote, so you might have to dig it up, but um, one of his works sold for a record amount. And I think he posted on his Instagram, something along the lines of, um, I painted this, you know, six years ago and now it's sold for, you know, whatever it was, you know, X, the X millions and millions and millions of Sotheby's. Mm. And, and, he, and, and, he, and his final line, I think said it all, he goes uh, something along the lines of, it's a shame I don't own it anymore. Yeah. You know, <laughs> because he, you know, whoever sold it and made all that money, it wasn't him. And he really does uh, find humor um, or, mm. or allows us as the viewer to find humor because, you know, I've heard him, uh, or not heard him, but I've, I've seen comments where he's, where he's literally written, um, I can't believe people buy this stuff. You know, yeah. he, he, almost, he almost wants to make a mockery of it. Yet at the same time, no one's smarter than him when it comes to understanding that for this, you know, he, he wants it to be seen as credible art. He wants it to be accessible mm. by everyone. They've got very strict controls in place for people, you know, who try to uh, take the real life street art off the walls and sell it. It'll, it'll never be certified. You know, it, when he paints it on a wall, it's for everyone. And uh, I think he embraces it. You know, it, it's slightly ironic that, you know, this thing which was for everyone suddenly became, the, you know, the industry darling of the genre of the art world in general and now sells for millions upon millions but i don't think he definitely has, has not sold out because you know we no. don't see that licensing we don't see that um i think he embraced it and he ha- it's been so long i don't even know if we'll get one in our lifetime again um maybe it'll 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 be ridiculous the demand for it if he does a print release it's been yeah. so long since his last print release but i think i don't think he's sold off i think he i think he finds it humorous um okay you know, almost like a um, 
like an R&B rapper or someone who's so anti-establishment mm. and starts winning Grammys. You know, yeah. he, he just I'm sure somewhere he is, you know, shaking his head going, <laughs> I don't think he got the message, but, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, but, I, but I appreciate you spending a lot of money on this work. I appreciate yeah. you keeping, you know, keeping it alive, um, you know, and, and, and hopefully that's how he's viewing it. I'm absolutely yeah. certain it is. <laughs> and the, the kind of peak of that, I suppose, was in 2019 in the Sotheby's sale, which was a hugely valuable work of art, obviously, and a very hotly contested auction. And then, of course, the shredder stunt happens where the art drops through the frame and, and becomes shredded in front of everyone's eyes, creating ingeniously a new work of art and a piece of performance art and all the headlines we've seen written about it. What do you think about that stunt and about that moment? And what did it say about where we are in the art world right now? Listen, I mean, I think it's pure Banksy. And I know a lot of people were like, Sotheby's new and they were in on it and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. But, you know, b- being in the room, <laughs> I think when you looked around, I mean, maybe someone knew, but there was a genuine sort of like, what is going wow. on? So you, you were there that day. <laughs> and then there was, a, yeah, and there, and there was wow. just sort of like a, what is happening? And obviously the crowd is like, what's going on? And you, and you look at the Sotheby's crowd, and listen, maybe they did know something. I, I'd find it hard to believe they didn't, but at the same time, you could feel the sort of energy and I, I would have loved to have been on the call with the actual buyer um, <laughs> and having to have that conversation. He said, I appreciate you spending X million. Um, we have a little problem. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's it sort of self-combusted a little bit. Um, yeah. and, and I think that uh, allegedly that conversation did take place where, and, and then the buyer <laughs> said, no, no, I'll still get it. And, and I remember seeing, or not seeing, but I remember hearing, though it doesn't surprise me, that a pest control representative, uh, and I don't know if this mm. has now become one of those stories that isn't true, but it's, it's a beautiful story nonetheless, um, because the, the artwork, the girl with balloon, that was supposed to be entirely destroyed, as, uh, as Banksy's um, commented on. Um, mm. But it obviously jammed. And the way they viewed it was the second it was shredded, it is now, it is no longer girl. It is an entirely new piece of art. Yeah. And, and pest control had a brand new certificate <laughs> of authenticity representing that artwork because the artwork, oh, wow. the, the, old, Straight the, away. Old, the old certificate yeah. didn't apply anymore. That artwork doesn't exist. It's gone forever. Here's the new COA. Um, wow. And, and that COA is important. You know, you've got to have a pest control COA. It, it, it increases the value dramatically and pest control do an amazing job tracking the, uh, the journey of every bank see as best as they can, as best as anyone can. And that's why the COAs are important. So taking out that envelope and going, you know, here's your yeah. new one. I mean, the, the, before we're talking about it, I remember I was just looking it up quickly now. There was the um, devolved parliament that sold for uh, between, uh, it sold for 9.8 million uh, a couple of years ago. And the estimate was like, I think the guide price was 1.5 to 2 million. And I think Banksy just had one simple comment. He said, uh, Record price for a Banksy painting set at auction tonight. Shame I didn't still own it. You know, yeah. I mean, that's it. You know, and and, and, and I always <laughs> love that. You know, I mean, it's him embracing. Um, I get it. This is in demand, and it's it's weird because uh, it's it's supposed to be making a very very soft political comment on a lot of things, and the demand for it is yeah. Wow, you know, what what can I say? Shame I still Absolutely. didn't own it. I'm interested to pull out something you said before because you're friends with Jerkface, who, as you say, is a, an anonymous artist and he wants to remain that way. Presumably, you know who he is and you've met him and seen him face to face. Is that fair to say? Okay. So, you, you, I'm sure you'll take that secret with you. But, um, and Banksy, of course, is, is the most famous of those examples of someone, you know, who it's much rumoured who he is and there's lots of kind of conspiracy theories about whether it's him or whether there's lots of people or whether he even exists at all where's your view on on that um extra layer of kind of hype and and intrigue around being anonymous and is it important is it something other people can copy how does it work really in the industry it's an interesting one because i think um for for the two anonymous artists that you've mentioned banksy and, mm. and castro joke face i think for both of them I th- well, certainly for, for, for Jerkface, uh, definitely. I imagine Banksy is the same. It was about making the art speak for itself. You know, I, I, you know, it's not about me and, the, and me being a, a celebrity in this day and age mm-hmm. of Instagram and selfies and being TikTok famous. Um, I want the artwork to speak for itself. But also leaning into the idea that, you know, um, if someone loves my work, nothing's more powerful to go, well, can we meet with the artist? Because we've got so many clients and collectors who love the opportunity to talk to the artist directly. 
Um, and over all the exhibitions that we've had over the last two years, whether it's David Yarrow to, um, you know, Lefty Out There, Harris Newcomb, Seb Chalmerton, uh, Mia's Brothers, uh, you know, all these artists that we've had um, in our gallery, Bradley Theatre, everyone loves talking to the artists because this is someone who, I guess deep down we all want to do something creative for a little, you know, and, yeah. and we yeah, and we yeah. and we and we and we feel that if you're creative, you're not really working, and not in a lazy way, but in that you know you you truly are the the definition of do what you love, and a lot of artists like David Yarrow and and Bradley Theodore come to mind off the top of my head, and the Connor Brothers, mm. they're so passionate when they're talking about their art to the point where, you know, you don't even sound like you're talking about work. You're just, you're happy and you're giddy and, and you're living this extraordinary life. Um, when you suddenly fall in love with artwork without even hearing from the artist, there is a desire to go, I'd love to watch a podcast or, uh, or, 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 or go to their Instagram account and just see them. I want to see the person making this. Mm. And then they suddenly go, actually, no, no one knows who he is just adds an, an, an element of theatricality, which is uh, really exciting. And uh, like the last, I'll, I'll tell you now that the last Joe Fest exhibition we did sold out straight away. I mean, the wait list was extraordinary. Mm. And uh, we were, we were uh, during the exhibition, I'm walking around and, you know, it's, it's an odd one because um, normally we have the artist with us and we like to introduce people like, Oh, have you met, um, you know, John Smith? He's the artist. Have you met, you know, David Yarrow, have you met whoever? Um, and people were asking, you know, is Jerk Face here? And I would say to him, no, no, he's not here. And he genuinely wasn't there because of the pandemic. We couldn't get him over. That was the only yeah. reason. But people didn't believe it. They were like, no, no, he's here. You're just not telling me. And I'm like, all right. And I called him up and I said, listen, uh, <laughs> people just think you're here. And he's like, listen, lean into it. So, uh, and so I started doing that. I said, look, you know, he is here, but he doesn't want to make a big deal. He's just watching it. He's just enjoying the show. So you had people like walking around and trying to find who he was. And then, mm -hmm. um, and it was quite amusing because, uh, you know, we even had reporters, you know, doing it. I'm like, he's genuinely not here. And because he doesn't even give interviews. I mean, it's very rare that he'll give an interview. Um, he doesn't like being on camera at all. Yeah. Um, I mean, if he was around, I would have introduced you. I would have said, listen, mm -hmm. this is his real name. And, you know, he would have trusted not for you not to say anything. Uh, so he's not weird. He's not walking in with a mask or anything. Okay. Right. But it's like, it's like, look, it's not about me. I want people to enjoy the work and, 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 and it's quite amusing. And, uh, and he'll, he'll sometimes bring extra people with him and point to one of his friends. Oh, this, mm. this is the guy, this is the guy who paints it all. And so you go online and you just can't find, I mean, I've done it. I went on a deep dive. You'll never see an image of him. There's other people. Wow. There's, there's, there's a great, one of his assistants is this like really giant African-American guy and he's been credited as a, and it's definitely not him. And it's like, it's really quite funny to see it all. And I've been told that it's a group of people, which is like the yeah. Banksy story as well, that it's not one person. It's like 17 people around the world doing it. And uh, I know for a fact, it's it's definitely one guy um, who is, he doesn't even have an assistant. You know, he powers through, he does it all his own. <laughs> So uh, I think I think it's um, I think it's it, it, it's a commitment, and it's got to be it's got to be artwork led, um, which yeah. is always scary for anyone. Um, but 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 being anonymous, um, if you commit to it out of the gate, it could potentially pay off yeah. in terms of just the storytelling aspect of your work. And do you know who Banks is? <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> uh, I was going to be really cute, and, uh, but no, no. I'll be honest. Uh, I, I don't. Um, you know, I, I, I hear the same. I think the the same rumors and stuff that you hear. I mean, for years, I'm, I'm certainly still one individual. You know, I, you hear that it's like a band or um, yeah. it's a group of people. I think it definitely began as one person. I think though that now, um, it, it, it surely right now must be a community of people mobilizing um, at this point. Um, and, and then there's some people who, uh, who will tell me, I know exactly who it is. And it's like, okay, well then it's the world's worst kept secret. Um, yeah. but it's almost one of those things that people don't really go down the rabbit hole to try and no. actually, uh, discover. Um, I, I think now we've reached a point where I wouldn't want to find out. I don't think anything's no. going to live up to the hype, okay. um, you know, to be honest with you at this point. So I hope it stays secret forever. I think you've probably met him at one point. I think you must have crossed paths with him at some in some way. I hope you, I hope you know one day. At least, yeah, you don't have to tell us. I think you could be jerk face, <laughs> by the way, John. That's my theory. 
<laughs> I got, I got, I mean, there was a, I was at an exhibition where um, Richard Hamilton, I was speaking because I used to be, uh, I knew Richard very, very well. I, I, I mean, I knew him as well as I could because I, I knew him the year before he died and helped him with a fairly significant commercial deal that basically helped him survive till his death. And um, I don't know why, I don't think I look anything like Richard, but I was speaking at a, at a dinner and, and it sounded like wildfire and it, and it caught on for a bit that I was like his son. Wow. <laughs> and so, and, and, uh, and I guess because I was speaking so passionately about his work, but I'm like, <laughs> this is a New York street <laughs> artist who was born in Canada. I'm from Australia. It don't even look, don't even sound the same. Um, so it's quite funny that, um, that, but uh, uh, I wish I was as talented as, as uh, Jerry mm. Trace and Banksy. That would be good. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm suffered to do more, far okay. more boring things than those gentlemen. Yeah. That's what you would say, I think. But anyway, we'll leave that one there. <laughs> Oh, I'd love us to, if you could talk us through some of the street artists. I know you have before, but maybe just three or four examples of the people who aren't Banksy, who us kind of budding collectors might be able to sink our teeth into, actually kind of get some access to potentially. That's a good question. I, I, I think um, I say it's a big question then because in terms of everyone starts off at a different budget and, and accessibility. Um, let me see. I mean, I, I, I think um, it's it, there's a wait list. But the 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 work of Jerkface is still very accessible. You know, you can get a print at least. The the original work, it's almost impossible to get. The waitlist and demand is extraordinarily high. Um, not not impossible, but it's pretty damn close. But the prints is an excellent way to to get started there with with him. Um, if you can get into Stick or uh, Invader, uh, you absolutely should. You know, once again, that might be a print journey as well. Mm. Um, nothing beats, you know, Basquiat and Herring prints either. How accessible is a Basquiat print? What kind of price level do they sell at? I mean, you'll, you'll, be, you'll have to be getting that on the secondary market. You know, we'll have to source one because the prints are very strictly uh, yeah. regulated by the estate now. But, yeah, that's that's probably where I'd begin. I mean, in terms of emerging talent, I, I would have a look at um, Ross Muir. I'd have a look at Graceland. Um, mm-hmm. I think they're uh, Sebastian Chormerton. Um, uh, there's an artist who, you know, those are two artists that I think are uh, street artists. They're kind of in that genre, but you know, I'm a big fan. Lefty out there, huge fan of his work. I mean, he's very, very popular and uh, uh, definitely not anonymous. He's got a wonderful, just charming presence in the, mm-hmm. in the art community. Um, I think he's looking to, we're going to do a show with him later this year. Very excited by that. Um, yeah, but uh, don't don't be tempted. Don't fall just entirely in the street art. I think you know, yeah. doing it, doing a bit of exploration. Um, uh, for me, it's uh, I try to introduce people to the to, to the buffet, and there's something <laughs> for everyone. Um, you know, because you might go down a route of photography, and we've got you know David Yarrow and Tara O'Neill, and Andy Gotts is you know a good friend of mine of and a phenomenal photographer. Um, you know, th- those are they're, 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 those are brilliant. Um, we're doing this show in LA at the moment. Um, which Ruth Pasteen is there and, uh, uh, and Sammy Mueller and, and, uh, I love both their work, but I'm particularly, I'm, I'm, I'm such, such a fan of Ruth's, Ruth's work. It kind of reminds me of before we were talking about Ed mm. Ruscha, it, it created that sort of, you know, when I saw where I saw Ruth's work for the first time, I just thought, God, this is like, this is why people buy art. You know, this is why mm. people hang out in their homes. When I saw Ruth's work, I loved it. Um, so there's, there's so many different variables there. Um, but I, I'd be motivated by, what you find uh, that you could hang in your home or have in your home and just enjoy looking at all the time. So what are your big plans then for Maddox in 2022? Dare I utter those three little letters, which we can't avoid NFT is that, are you, are you looking in some, some, some into some of that kind of technology into exhibitions like that? Well, for 2022, the plans are we've got, a, we've got a very robust exhibition schedule. You know, we've mm-hmm. hit the ground running and we've got, um, a number of solo and group exhibitions, and, and a lot of it is um, is is emerging talent or, or new talent thematics, at least at the very least. I'm very excited by the shows that we've got planned for London and Stad in Los Angeles yeah. uh, this year. It's going to be a, a jam packed year, and I think it's going to be more fun because we're coming out of the pandemic and we'll be able to bring people back to the galleries. In terms of um, NFTs. That's an interesting thing. I mean, that's almost like a whole separate other podcast. I, I'm yeah, not. Absolutely. I'm slowly becoming a fan of NFTs. Uh, out of the gate, if you'd asked my opinion uh, six months ago, I would have told you I think they're a terrible idea. 
And my opinion is only slightly better today. I think there's going to be a, a massive course correction in the NFT market. I think that it's not sustainable for this sort of boom. It's almost like a startup, the startup bubble of like 2008. It's almost like almost like crypto currencies that are um, sort of these meme coins that you know that, mm. that have no that have no legs, and everyone's looking for a lottery ticket. But having said that, I think when it does implode from the ashes, a phoenix of a credible model will arise. I, I do. I'm getting more on board now with. I, I've always loved digital art. I remember seeing my first piece of digital art. I don't know. I, I feel bad because I don't know who the artist is, but I remember seeing it years and years ago at the Bellagio. It was hanging. It was a digital. It was a television hanging there. Digital art was basically waves crashing, and I thought it was beautiful. And I remember thinking that I could see that as being in the future. And, and I'd love to do. I would genuinely love to do an NFT show where we partner with a with a with a television company, yeah. um, like like Samsung or, or you know whoever, um, Bang and Olufsen and uh, LG, and uh, we have the televisions hanging in the gallery and each one has an nft and when you, if you bought it you get the tv with it because uh, and not to sell any tvs but but i like the <laughs> idea that because a lot of people they don't know what to do with digital art and then you get this dismissive well all i have to do is right click and save and i've got it on my screen as well sure yeah that's true and that talks about not appreciating it as an art form you're looking at it as a form of money making you're trying to diminish the value but if we go back to it, its core which is what it's about which is what it should be about which is art digital art I do like this idea because it's really it's just different than a than a than a than a screen print or mm. or or a canvas. It's just a different medium. It's a it's a plasma, right? And I think there is a universe where people will have a television hanging in a hallway demonstrating digital art. This is an interesting idea to me, and if that's supported by uh, NFTs, which which really the purpose of an NFT is really the underlying provenance, the certificate of authenticity to who yeah. owns that work. There, that's interesting. I, you know, looking at from you know, putting a lawyer hat on for a second, looking through the smart contract technology, that's really interesting for me. I'd like to see that be explored. NFTs in general, though, I, I think there's a massive implosion. I think there's going to be a lot of people who put their money into things that are going to be bitterly disappointed. Um, I think there's a little bit of Emperor's New Clothes. Um, yeah. I also think it's got nothing to do with the art world right now. It's no. turned into quasi pseudo digital art but I, I think that's why you find a lot of artists not really embracing it because the number one thing that a credible artist doesn't want to do is sell something and it is immediately its value is immediately consumed in other words there's mm. no secondary market for it i mean mm. it might be a dirty word but every artist needs to consider that um, especially if they're obeying the rules of scarcity. When I sell something, I want to give faith to the person who bought it that's not going to lower in value and that potentially that the demand for it means that they can sell it again in the future. You know, mm. because like with anything, you, you typically, um, you know, you, you might not own it for life. And if you gift it, it's nice to that, you know, it's for generations in the future, which is always the more romantic version of it. But it's also nice to know that a few years from now, yeah, I, I've got someone who I, I sat at a dinner once and someone bought a Banksy like 15 years ago, or, you know, really back, back in the early stages. And he, and, and he said, he sold it. And I said, do you mind if I ask what you sold it for? And he said, I, I won't tell you that John, but I'll tell you that it bought my house. And wow. I thought that's very cool. That's a very cool story. Um, you know, and, that, and that's a story like 10, 15 years in the making. Um, yeah. And I like that. Yeah. Well, I could chat to you about this stuff all day, John, and pick your brains on all of this, but I know you're a very busy man. So thank you so much for giving us some of your time and for coming on the Gentleman's Journal podcast. And I know we'll see you soon. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Well, if you enjoyed that episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast, you'll almost certainly love the Gentleman's Journal magazine, the world's finest dispatch from the front line of luxury, entrepreneurship and style. In fact, lucky podcast listeners like you now get 20% off our annual subscription. Just enter the code POD20 at thegentlemansjournal.com to find out more.